Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At HomeThreads.com, you can find a collection of uh, furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables. You can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on homethreads.com, and we have a discount code for you. Go to homethreads.com slash onboys. You can get a code for 15% off your first order, because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads, love where you live. This episode is brought to you by Audible. We know that you don't have a lot of time to sit down and read. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Go deeper with audio content from Audible. You can download a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash onboys to download your free book and start listening. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash on boys. Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. The podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Being a parent can be a really hard job. We're stressed, we're tired, we're at the whim of our children, we're overwhelmed, and thank goodness there are some people out there that can help us see the lighter side of parenting. And our guest today, Charlie Capen, was instrumental in founding How to Be a Dad, which is a repository of humor and memes. You've probably seen some of them. You've probably maybe spooed your coffee when you've <laughs> heard some of them as, as my beloved co-host has already done in our pre-recording chat this morning. It's true. Uh, without further ado, Charlie, welcome. Thank you for having me. You are the dad of two boys, 10 and 5, and were you funny before you became a parent or did your boys bring that out in you? I don't, I mean, funny is such a relative term. If you ask my sons after I make like a fart joke, they'll probably think I'm the funniest person on the planet, but it, to everybody else, maybe not so much, maybe not all the time. I, <laughs> I had a father who was very humorous. He used humor as sort of a tool to teach and to mitigate circumstances and so it was just sort of part of my upbringing. For me, humor has been the most, one of the most important tools in parenting and sort of surviving at, at this point. You know, Janet, that's something that we have said before, as we've just had our own conversations on the podcast. It's like, sometimes you have to laugh because if you don't, 
this parenting gig can just grind you down. Yep. Yep. And I think that's, that's the sort of the origin story of, I think uh, the, how to be a dad site and just my general approach in life to parenting is just, um, if we can't laugh at how fear-based and stressful and, you know, over the top, all of this can be because it's a, it's a blessing and a bother to, to bastardize Mark Twain. Parenting is literally this sort of all out over the ramparts charge that you, you really need to stay awake and alive and supportive and in a sort of headspace. And sometimes you need to walk away, but I think humor allows us to make smaller, the overwhelming challenge and um, it can deconstruct or, or take apart things that are almost uh, insurmountable or uh, like you, something you can't understand, which is why I think people have been writing and talking about parenting since it started, since we began as people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we think about becoming parents and maybe we're expecting that baby to arrive any day, we're not thinking about how hard it's going to be. We're thinking about how fun it's going to be. And of course, then there's the rude awakening of, yeah, this is really hard. But ultimately, yeah. parenting is supposed to be fun, playing with our kids, raising our kids, the joy and the fun. That humor piece helps us remember that. Yeah. And I, I think the only other thing I would add, because I think dads sometimes get this bad rap for being like grown children or that we're somehow like needing to be mothered just as much as children do. There's a way to take things not so seriously without, with, while still taking it seriously. Like there's a way to approach parenting with humor and um, a lightness without you know, removing the idea that it is a serious endeavor that requires a lot of effort and diligence. You know, for me, humor has always been this sort of through line to be able to help understand myself or give myself a break when I feel like I'm not doing a good job uh, or to sort of, again, sort of take down, take it down a notch. Um, I definitely like white knuckled my, with my first son a lot more and felt like, oh my God, I'm doing this wrong. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, the car seats uh, instructions are scaring the hell out of me. Like every, <laughs> everything is predicated around this idea that if you do it wrong, you're going to irreparably harm your child and yourself and everything's going to be terrible. So the only way to push back on that is to just point up the enemy in this case is fear. The enemy in this case is the stress that accompanies all of this because it makes you tighter and not as creative and not give your full self to your children. Um, Mm. At least, at least for me. Yeah. That's really deep and insightful. Yeah. Were you not expecting that from me? I totally get that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's not that. It's not that at all. But it's that so often we don't fully realize that's what we're doing with humor. We don't often stop to reflect on its role. And it's it's nice to have these moments to realize that it's serving us. Yeah. And I think we underestimate that sometimes. You know, for me, how to be a dad was a place to sort of sometimes be very visceral and and open up my guts a little bit and let all that out and take it from a different vantage that I think also women hadn't heard a lot about. Um, I, you know, spoke about topics of miscarriage and, you know, my own failings. And if anything, the site was really meant to be a place to learn how not to do something and be open and okay with that. But humor was really, and this, I'll give you like the secret sauce formula. Um, For us, humor was the anesthesia to get in and do the work with men and women 
uh, are such a dominant force within the online community and we I respect them so highly for having created this industry and this sort of space to talk openly and so in in sort of homage to all the work that they did I felt like I wanted to add the voice without co-opting the space and really give men a place also to say like you know we would get e I get emails all the time after some of these posts but humor was the anesthesia to do the surgery so that we could take ourselves a little bit less seriously we could be self-deprecating and then talk openly because I felt like for me as a man you know I definitely bristle sometimes when men or when anyone would tell me what how to do something or what to do this was a way of saying like I did it this way and I totally failed and it's this is a ridiculous endeavor to try to sleep this little and care this much. And um, so Amen. humor was, was a, yeah, it was a, a powerful salve, you know, to all of the stuff that's going on in people's lives. I want to circle back around because I'm very aware that most of our listeners are women. Yeah. And this is a great opportunity to be really honest yeah. and talk about the messages that women give to men and I was one of them. I was that mom that was like, no, I'm the only one that can put my child to bed the right way. You know, I don't think that I set out to harm my spouse in that, but I was just so amped up in my role as mom of this baby and I can only I can do it the right way. And so as I, I mean, my kids are 31 and 34 now, so it's been a while to contemplate and think about this and just having that like awareness as whether you're new parents or not new parents of what my behavior as a female communicates to my partner yeah part of the reason i i wanted to do how to be a dad and then part of the reason i feel like i invested a lot of time was i lost my father before my son was born so i had a lot of questions um for me, it was a place to be able to sort of ruminate on those questions and sort of openly discuss them so that then at least I would have a community of men. I feel like my father would have benefited from the dad blogger community in a great way. Um, I'm in a Facebook group of over, I don't know, like 2000 men who are all blogging and writing about fatherhood or just discussing it. And I feel like, you know, as we move toward, <clears throat> at least I, I wanna move, maybe the administration of the country I live in doesn't want to, but I wanna move toward equality for women I think it's important that we defy these gender roles and really redefine and redistrict what it is that we are interested in as men. And you know, for me, changing a diaper or doing the graveyard shift with my sons when, when it was late at night was a powerful sort of spiritual moment. It was something that was very gratifying and also very taxing, but it also created a different connection to my children. Um, and I don't think men you know, necessarily all are built the same way, and I think uh, I have a lot to talk about. That's the whole reason why I was writing so much. But um, I think there's a lot that's unsaid that men, if given the invitation, will participate and will grab onto the adventure of, you know, and, and really um, help define who they are in a really interesting ways. How can we as women and mothers support dads? What I'm specifically asking by that there's this whole cultural stereotype that dads are clueless, immature, another one of the children. And then there's what Janet said, you know, a lot of us in our well-meaning list, we kind of take over the childcare. So from your perspective as a father, what are some things that women can do both within their own families and collectively to help support fathers 
being fathers? Yeah. So, well, I think the first step for me, if, if I were to, if I were to request it is for women to understand, I, I'm, I, I believe in, I mean, I'm, I'm a feminist. I, I believe in women empowering themselves and the equanimity of, of how we treat women. And I think that the first thing to understand is that by reducing men down to someone who is a non-participant or someone who's like the dumb dad stereotype, you're actually disempowering yourself as a woman. You're saying that um, the partner that I chose, if you are with with a man, is someone who is inept and clueless, and it sort of reflects on your choice as a human being and your your power and strength and intelligence. You know, I think it empowers women when they ask for and receive the things that they need in their life to have an equal partnership and equal footing. That would be the first place I would start. I think we need only an invite, and then you know, everybody, men and women, and and non-binary and everybody in, uh, on all sides of the spectrum have things they're, they're good at and things that they need work on. And I think when we take it out of those like tight conforming space of women are good at this and men are good at that, I'm definitely a nurturer with my, with my boys. I am a teacher. I definitely have fun with them, but it's not defined out of my masculinity. I define my masculinity as I see fit and then apply that rubric to them. And that self-definition is very empowering. And I think it also models the idea of my young. So my older son, um, and this is something I talked about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name drop the Obama administration White House for a second. Um, name drop it, baby. I'm just name dropping drop that. Quick uh, I got to speak on a panel at the White House uh, about breaking down stereotypes and uh, gender bias. Um, and I thought I was in for a day talking about girls, honestly, because uh, I want to see girls in STEM and STEAM. I want to see girls like really rise and continue to rise and, and uh, really even out the the pay gap. Um, anyway, a, a large portion of it was also spent on boys and the sort of catastrophic um, nature of what's happening for boys and the research around it with panelists from really amazing with like several you know titles after their name. I had no idea why I was there. I think I think we are we are at a, uh, a, f a sort of nexus point of how we want to see these roles enacted. And so I, a story I tell is uh, about my son, Finn, and he had an after-school class called Yoga and Chocolate. And I was like, I want to go to this class. This class sounds perfect for me. I would love to do yoga and also have chocolate. And he went to this class and he was very excited about it. In the first couple of days he was there, um, the young, there was predominantly young girls, almost all, if not all young girls. And they were like, why are you here? This is not a class for you. And, and quickly othered him in that space. And he's picking up these cues and we're all picking up these cues unconsciously, especially as kids. Uh, and so every time we tell a boy, every time we say boys are easier to raise than girls, or they're like, girls are very complex, boys are very easy and simple the moment a boy has a complex emotion, we start to break down and we start yeah. to be like, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong with me. I think it's important to recognize as women that men have complex emotional lives um, and they sometimes express them in different ways or they, their expression of those emotions or the way they've been taught to handle or sort of compartmentalize or whatever is just very different. And it requires sometimes a different dialect in sort of handling it. It's not like it's not there. Like the brain firing is the same. It looks the same on, you know, emotional life looks the same in that way. So um, I don't know if those are helpful or those don't sound very simple, but I would just say those are so two important. Different. This yeah. is such an important conversation.
and none of it is simple. If it was simple, we would have had this figured out already. Yeah. And I'm, you know, hearing you talk about your experience at the White House, that was an eye-opening experience for you in some ways. I would imagine that this experience of raising two boys for 10 years has opened your eyes to the continued challenges boys face too. And the stereotype, the stereotype about the incompetent dad, that's got to affect our boys also. Oh, 100%. My, my uh, older son, uh, when he sees a baby, is taken. Like he, he doesn't want to oh. talk to anybody else. He's just, he wants to be hanging out with the baby. He wants to hold the baby. He wants to like, he wants to be part of that baby's life. He wants to see if he can evoke reactions and make the baby laugh or smile. That's, that's on his list of things that he wants to do. And that's, I didn't shoo him away and I, I didn't uh, pull him back from it. And so with my first son, I was an at-home father for about eight, nine months it just worked out that way. And it was a, a great blessing because that connection I have with my son, that investment pays dividends for the rest of our lives together. Mm -hmm. um, you don't need to be an at-home parent for you to have that kind of connection. But for me, that's how it sort of netted out. But I will say being an at-home parent also taught me a lot of things about myself, specifically how lazy and narcissistic I am, specifically <laughs> things I'm not good at. Um, parenting is this weird funhouse mirror that shows you yourself in really uh, intense ways. And I think uh, more men could use that because when we're driven by ego or we're driven by what we think we're supposed to be doing or how we look, you know, or, or just going to the park with your kids and having someone interrogate you because maybe you have a beard and maybe you're a man by yourself, like, and, and looking at the sort of predatory nature of, of the statistics around abuse and, and things like that, it's... Um, it's hard, you know, and this is not a woe, woe us men thing, because men have also done some really terrible things, and a lot of really terrible things, but just the fact that we are trying and, you know, do face some stigma as well, um, makes it more difficult to have those conversations. I, I would also just add that I am led by my boys and their interests, and I think men too, if you tap into that adventurous nature, if, you're, if your partner is a man and is adventurous, or you know, or wants to be efficient or wants to just have fun or whatever the, the thematic sort of style of that person is. Every time I tried to be what I thought was a good dad or a caricature of a good dad, I removed my creativity and my ability from it. I started to do things that were out of character and I left out uh, whole parts of myself. And as soon as I started accepting like, this is my parenting style and how I, how I choose to live or how I choose to parent, more came, more ability and more power kind of arose from that. So I would just say for, to men and to women who know men or have men in their lives, empowering them to find those things and find the things that are, that are interesting to them and tap into that will then lead to finding those, like working on those other areas where they're, where they're struggling. Yeah. That's an incredibly important and under-acknowledged point. We talk about it with our kids. All of our kids are different, you know, find and yeah. value what's special about them. We need to do that with each other and you are not going to dad the same way as the dad down the street and I'm not going to mother the exact same way as Janet because we are different human beings. We bring different background, different style, different interests to it and that's beautiful. Yeah, it's, um, it's remarkable what happens when we allow ourselves to define the experience we want and take chances and risks but also that we empower others to do the same, you know, this big conversation about uh, 
masculinity or about femininity or feminism or the place of you know parents in the world or maternity leave and paternity leave it just there are so many studies that show us that early involvement in kids lives on the part of parents and then also allowing ourselves to define the experience and the person that we are pays huge dividends across the board for our children and for ourselves we face you know women specifically face a lot of you know having it all and leaning in and you know falling back and you know our quality time and oh my god i want you know career and all these we're, the idea of balance starts to become a moving target that yeah. ma- makes us feel like we can't achieve anything because we're never satisfied. And I, I don't know that I understand or believe in balance at this point. I believe in trying to harmonize things. So when there are, you know, when there's a lot of time spent at home and a lot of things going well or like whatever's happening in our life, that we can add another sort of note uh, of something else there to try to harmonize it but rather rather than balance because i don't know if there's ever going to be an equilibrium especially with kids like that's just <laughs> not you have to debit from somewhere and you have to deposit somewhere so it's it's a constant and, shift and it's different for every family i hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal and yet bath time can be really fun in fact here in the very cold winter we use bath time as an activity Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. Yes, exactly. But the ultimate definer is that is that you are doing what feels right for you, what nurtures your soul and can amplify that and then that spreads to your children and out to the school and and we have you know slowly we're changing the model slowly we're changing the message and it can feel so slow it does and it what's hard is you know i i grew up my father was kind of not as present and kind of off in the ether a bit and he he taught me a lot of lessons about creativity and about you know seeking seeking out creative means and ends and things and really gave me a great foundation for a lot of my again humor and all these things and sort of creating things 
my mother was our, my main caregiver. She, she raised me and my brother by herself for the most part, uh, starting about, you know, eight, eight years old, seven years old. And the experience of that as a boy, watching her face these sort of disparities and ha her having to work harder than her male counterparts to sort of achieve and for her to achieve that kind of, the kind of success that she did in the industry that she's in gave me a lot of on the ground experience to understand how I want to parent my boys. Mm -hmm. Because if I can't teach them to be willing, helpful partners and see women and girls differently than even my contemporary colleagues, I, I, I feel like we're doing a disservice to people. Watching her go through that really colored the way I look at the world. And, you know, we're coming through generations of people and a lot of different kinds of mixtures of households. And I think it's this kind of judgment and I don't know, there's this weird judgment about having a non sort of nuclear male, female, you know, all these things mm -hmm. didn't, if, if it had been that simple, it would have solved all these problems. The thing is, is we've been masking problems for a long time and, oh, yeah. and now we're paying for it later in our lack of humanities about the subject. Yeah. I'm really curious. You talked a little bit about, you know, what you learned and took away from being fathered and how that influenced how you want to father, what you want to teach your boys. And then there's the actual experience of interacting with real human children, which mm -hmm. sometimes can make that all very, very challenging. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe an incident where you've, it's been, you found some conflict or the parenting your actual child has made you question what you thought you were going to do? I think parenting simply defined is, is the process of unlearning the things that you thought you absolutely knew for sure. <laughs> I, don't, I think it's the same with, I mean, we start with childbirth, right? Childbirth, if, if that's the route that you go, is a great, is an abject lesson in making plans and then throwing them out the window. Absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, it's the first, it's metaphorical for the entire experience. You're, <laughs> and you're, yet we don't understand, we don't really get that until years later. We're like, oh, that was my hint. I mean, yeah. it, it, we don't take that <laughs> lesson. Like, what are we doing? No. <laughs> I, 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 you know, we, uh, if you have a 50 page like birthing plan and you give that to a nurse, they're like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I can't, this is not, you know, like, they're like, take this and put it in your chart. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We'll make sure everyone gets a copy of this for sure. Um, Good luck with that. Go to Kinko's real quick. Um, yeah. <laughs> Almost spit out coffee again, guys. Uh, yeah. um, and that's not to denigrate people who want to have a specific birth experience. I think that's important, but I, you know, I think uh, being open and flexible is one of those things. So, um, you know, for me, my two children are completely different people. And every time I try to parent them as the same person, I lose, just, just yeah. unequivocally lose. Um, for me, I think where it shows up the most is probably in when something, you know, when disciplining is probably like, and consequences are probably the hardest thing for me because it's so easy to sort of push your thumb down on someone and like just cut out like all right th this behavior has to stop I'm at my wits end and not getting involved and in projecting my own frustration about parenting onto my children it's one of those things when before I had kids I was like I'm never gonna do I'm never gonna be that guy he's like losing his mind on his kids and I'm like here I am losing my mind and going okay I was wrong um. Yeah. Little humble, humble pie yeah. there. Parenting <laughs> is humbling like that, indeed. Uh, yeah. So I think that's the, 
those are the think the, the moments when I mean the most righteous moments I've pretty much almost almost all of them I would say you know my kids are only gonna eat you know like just all of the I'm gonna travel around the world with my kid like everything all of I was are- going to have a no toy gun household oh yeah uh-huh. Like, oh, sure. I'm gonna have wooden toys and they're gonna be made by the children themselves and they're gonna like make their own bed out of wood I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> I would have better luck getting them to build a bed out of wood than yeah. uh I don't know do homework some days I think <laughs> I mean uh, yeah and I think that's again where you part of it is being led by the child in front of you and not putting sort of a carbon copy of a child over them and looking at that carbon copy rather than looking at who they are is my older son um, is super intellectual. He wants to study everything. If I put, if I allowed him to, he would read ad nauseum until he fell asleep and didn't eat. Um, my younger son wants to climb the walls with his bare hands like Spider-Man. So I, <laughs> and that's not to say that my younger son isn't intellectual. He's highly intellectual, but they just have different ways of expressing it. And they yeah. require different stimulus and different rewards and different like incentives for those things so i do love people who have not been a a primary caregiver giving advice i love you know i love getting unsolicited advice i love opinions that are really stark in nature that really paint a whole wide picture and just really make people feel terrible those are my favorite things i don't know if you're hearing the sarcasm in my voice but I, <laughs> I am definitely hearing the sarcasm <laughs> I just I, and I I say that coming from a place of like having very defined ideas about what it would be like to have children and wanting to be a father for a long time but then being there and going like wow this is really difficult I'm really like or like oh this is I'm really hating this moment right now can this just be over with well um, and Charlie I think it's so important to hear that and I I have been advocating for boys for over 20 years and working with parents and I was still am so struck by being in a group of parents and one dad was talking about how angry he gets with his kids and another dad across the room was he just had this deer in the headlights look and when I asked him he said I thought I was the only one completely at my kids. Well, and that's the stunning thing about, I think about women too, is that we, that we have to learn is this communal nature. Uh, you know, I, again, my father would have benefited so much from a group of men who were just like, and it's not this like sort of men's rights, you know, shenanigans. It's more about just an open conduit for conversation and saying like, this is really difficult. Like, I really hate that. I don't like how this, this is really frustrating me. My partner is doing this thing or like, I don't know how to do this well. And so when it was, when I was doing how to be a dad, that was a place where I was like everything that I wanted to talk about was always from the point of view of like this isn't going the way I thought it would or I'm doing this wrong Mm -hmm. or or I feel wrong for feeling this way because you need to give people permission to say like this isn't working so that you can then work on it but to have that opening and I as a woman I'm not able to do that with dads. And so we need, we need dads to be talking with dads. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my kids learn more from their peers probably than they do from me sometimes about certain topics. You know, yeah. there's certain, like there's a point at which children learn from each other more. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's funny though, because I've definitely like, as I've tried to open myself up to the strength that is in being, and it's not like to be cliche, but like the strength in being vulnerable or the strength in not knowing something. 
not knowing is a really powerful agent for change and being okay with not knowing so that you can get to that knowing place. And then, you know, my older son, again, is like very competitive and his things come easily to him scholastically. So when there's something that doesn't come easily, he like loses it because he's not used to that. And I think men also are in this sort of like meritocracy of, you know, strength and power and all these like sort of traits. And I think when we're allowed to say like, uh, I don't, I'm going to openly say I don't like my body or I'm going to openly say um, I start to break down when my children are being illogical because I think about it in logical ways. Like that, that gives them a lot of open room to say the things that matter to them. And yes. even just getting rid of some of that and like taking the pressure off a little bit buys us enough room or space or time to figure some things out. Yeah. So I want to just shift gears a little bit because I want to make sure that we talk about your project because it yes. is very important and is doing a lot of good in the world. And so will you tell us about GISH? This was yes. all new to me. I had never yes. heard of this before, but the fact that you are gamifying social good, man, there's just all good in that. Well, yeah, so you not knowing about it means I'm not doing my job well enough yet, but we're working on it. So Gish is a scavenger hunt, almost in name only, because a scavenger hunt sort of uh, is predicated around finding things and, you know, looking for things. Gish, the acronym is Greatest International Scavenger Hunt. It's played in 100 countries by tens and tens and tens of thousands of people around the world. And people get together in teams and try to take on this master monster list of challenges and those challenges range from creative exercises to public embarrassment to doing acts of kindness and charity and a community service and you get points for each of those things that you complete and uh, the team with the most points at the end of the the week-long scavenger hunt that takes place each year uh, gets to go on a bucket list exotic trip somewhere around the world we've gone to Iceland and Scotland and Hawaii and Croatia and um, we went to New Zealand this year uh, we are going to Laos this coming year for the oh, winners wow. of the 2019 trip so we're we take this group of people who've done excellent work and an achievement and um, we basically reward them so uh, this year we were able to raise almost three hundred thousand dollars for bombing victims um, we bombed Laos uh, I think about two million times uh, during the Vietnam conflict I think 40 percent these numbers might be slightly off 40 percent of the, the munitions never went off so oh children are finding these small balls that are metal and wanting to play with them and then losing limbs and um, these are in farmland so that then farmers can't farm their own land. So we raised about $300,000 to defuse bombs. And then we're also supporting this really cool company called Article 22 that takes the scrap from the bombs and turns them into jewelry and then sells them as well. So each year we focus on a different charitable thing where we change the life of a community or group of people. Last year it was Rwanda. We, uh, almost 200 women now uh, because of this game uh, that people play and sign up for, we gave them their own farmland, their own tools and resources to farm their own land. And this group wow. of women with you know, upwards of five or six children who are orphaned by this genocide um, now have a way to change their own circumstances. So it's really powerful. It was created by a guy named Misha Collins. He's an actor on a show called Supernatural that is uh, going into its 15th and final season. He plays an angel on the show. So uh, his angelic nature has created this weird <laughs> game that people wow. love to play. And I help, I help him enact that vision that he has for it. 
a few years ago, I read the book uh, Reality is Broken by Jane McGonigal. I'm guessing you are mm -hmm. familiar with that book. I am, yeah. 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 So for those of you who haven't read it, it tackles this idea of gamification. And mm -hmm. here on this show and within our own parenting lives, we've talked a lot about video games. And I'm sure you know as well, Charlie, like there's all kinds of stress in parenting around video games. Are they a force for good? Are they a force for evil? How much, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But what that book said and, you know, what you're doing is that that whole kind of model of making something a challenge and a challenge that you can master, we can kind of take those ideas and harness it for good and do some super cool things in the real world. I, I mean, I think what the cool thing about that, too, is that you don't have to fit the psychographic, like, humanitarian model to play the game. Like, you can be as competitive and ego-driven as you want to be to play the game and win, but the outcome and the deliverable is still the same, which is people who are making baked goods for first responders in your community or dressing up as your favorite video game character then going to a children's hospital in that costume and playing that game with uh, kids who are um, in, you know, intensive care um, or who are on hospice. The thing that ultimately that makes it still a scavenger hunt is they are searching for something. It's just not on the list. What they get from it is pushing their own personal boundaries. You know, one of the items, they, they range in impossible too. So we've had things like get something named in space after our company, after beating up NASA for a week long, um, they cried uncle and named a, a mountain range on Mars after us. That's um, awesome. Yeah, they, they will achieve anything and they will, um, this group is the most creative, most compassionate, most like sort of lateral thinking group of people I've ever seen because they attack challenges and problems and creativity. You know, make a, make a fully lit Christmas tree take flight. We got calls by the FAA to please stop. Um, <laughs> And there's like 50 or 100 trees going up that are lit up in the sky. You name it. We've, we've asked people to make portraits out of Skittles and do all these different things. And the net of it is creative fulfillment, um, finding that you are more powerful and capable than you realized after you get through the like, oh, I don't want to do this or I'm never going to get this done. Yeah. And seeing this giant list, they start to really realize that there's great power in a being just abandon, just abandon all the thoughts of what you thought you could do and then see what happens and ask your friends and talk to other people. And, you know, that's how, that's how we're able to raise almost $300,000 in a few days is because people are not taxing themselves. They're taxing themselves by reaching out to others yeah. to activate them. And that's, that's the power of the network of people. And, you know, if that can be applied to parents, if that can be applied to, you know, work and government and anything, we could tackle a lot of really big problems a lot faster. Yeah, it's that bringing together that sense of community that also stepping outside of your own little circle of people and connecting with other people. And we can only get stronger. Yeah, exactly. How do people yeah. get involved if you're game, in your game? So let's say, you know, somebody's listening like, this is the coolest thing ever. I yeah. want to play. Um, yeah, it's pretty simple. You go to gish.com, G-I-S-H, Greatest International Scavenger Hunt. Um, we have a free app that people can download as well. Um, the uh, registration period generally happens in, starting in spring and then rolls until um, just before the scavenger hunt. To become part of the community, there's a Facebook group already that's uh, the Gish Bunker. 
Um, and there's a free app where we have ongoing challenges as well, where we give out prizes for doing stuff in their community. This has been an amazing conversation. We've gone a lot of different directions, but what I really know that will be communicated to our listeners is you are a man with a really big heart and a lot of that social goodness and we need more of that in our world and you know little by little it spreads and we're we're very happy that we can can share with our listeners the goodness and love that you hold and project so beautifully thank you thank you for having me both of you i i feel like this is a conversation that we really need to keep having and i think especially with boys that you know girls are facing issues with perfectionism and equality and things like that and boys are being left behind in a lot of the conversations. And I think the best thing that we could do to take down the issues that are facing girls is to really work on boys and help boys be empowered to look at girls and women as partners. And those these conversations are the ones that have to happen for that to do. I think in order for us to take down the walls built by men, we have to help boys. Um, and I hope people understand that more and more as, they, as the days goes by. It's impossible to raise boys alone. Join one or both of our Facebook groups. Jen is at Building Boys and Janet has Boys Alive. Ask questions, share your wins, get support when you need it. We'd love to have you join us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.